And I'm going to pray for you as you, I'm going to pray first. I like, look, Erin did not give up the mic, nor did she move to the side at all. I was like, do you want me to come up or do you want to just keep going? Okay. All right. It's been like six weeks since I've been at church, so I have a lot to say. Um, let's pray. Father, thank you for your daughter, Nicole. Um, I thank you for the call that you've placed in her life to deliver the word of God to God's people. God, I pray that she would walk in the authority that you've given for her. God, I pray that she would speak with boldness. God, I pray for our hearts, that they would be softened, that we would be attentive to the word of God, and that when we feel you drawing us to repentance, that we would not resist you, but that we would heed and that we would come running to you with open arms, to your, running to your open arms. Um, be glorified, be exalted in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, everybody. I love, love the energy in the room. Sorry to make you stop being friends with each other. I hope you can continue your conversation when we finish up here today. But I'm really glad to get to bring a message. We're actually in a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that. So even if you weren't here, as I was not, um, we're going to all catch up on that together. But today, we're going to be talking about patience. And let me tell you, if God puts a call in your life to preach or teach, which he has in all of us because we're all called to preach and teach with our lives, let me tell you, do not preach about patience and get in any moving vehicle in Richmond, Virginia. Don't get in a car. Don't get on a bus. Like, don't even walk down the street. I am telling you this week, not only were the people in front of me driving too slow, but also the people behind me were aggressively not being patient with the direction of my car. My father-in-law used to say that anyone going three miles faster than you is a maniac, and anyone going three miles slower than you is a moron. And it felt a little bit like I was getting that reminder this week. But I, I take comfort in knowing that often the very best teachers are those who are struggling to learn. I remember a friend of mine was a great math teacher. He's called to teach middle school math, and that is a calling on your life, let me tell you, if you're a middle school math teacher. And I said, Jeremiah, why do you love to teach math so much? He said, because I struggled so much in math. And I still do. And that's what makes me so creative as a teacher. And I want to tell you, I struggle so much with patience, and I still do. But I think that God has such an incredible word for us about what he's doing in our life when he's calling us to be patient with circumstances like the DMV and customer service. <laughs> I know. If you have to go wait for a real idea, I hope that you just get saved again before you go. Just get anointed with oil. Like, don't go. And whatever that is, we got, we got to be patient with circumstances. We're people who just feel hassled all the time. We have to be patient with other people. We got people we've got to share the road with, people we've got to share our homes with, people we have to share our work with. And we have to be patient with God when it feels like the life of God's plan is not the life I was expecting. We have to be patient with God's timing. We have to be patient with God's way. And we have to be patient with how God is answering our prayers. So the good news is we are all in this boat together, no matter where you are. We can all relate on some level to this call to wait, to this call to be patient with ourselves and with others. And also, I think that there's great hope in the way that the Apostle Paul sets this up for us in Galatians 5. So we're going to be looking at this passage together because I know that you are a church who likes to have a conversation, and you're not going to leave your preacher hanging up here. I'm going to ask you to actually stand with me while we read these words from Galatians 5. Now, if you are 
a child of God from the very beginning, and you just want to close your eyes and see if you still remember this verse, you go ahead. But for the rest of us, we're going to read it together. Are you ready? Here we go. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Amen. You can be seated. All right, so when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, I think the first thing we want to know, this is a thing that we talk about a lot, but I, I keep needing to hear it over and over again, is that this is one set of fruit from one abiding life. This is not separate things. I'm not allowed to say, no, I'm a very loving person, but I'm just not patient. I'm, I'm very kind, but I'm just not self-controlled. They're all, they all come together. In fact, I was thinking about how this beautiful analogy works because when you think about fruit of a tree or a vine, there's no such thing as a tree or a vine that bears more than one kind of fruit. But because we live in a world of technology, I thought that I should check. And so I Googled, I was like, can different fruit grow from one tree? And this is what I came up with. Look at this. This is what happens in Australia. They've, they've actually grafted fruit together into trees that bear fruit salad trees. And there are trees that bear stone fruit, peaches and plums. There's citrus trees that, that grow lemons and limes all on one tree. Because they take these different trees and they graft them together. But what's interesting to me is that even though these trees can bear different kinds of fruit, it can't really bear anything that isn't similar. So you can't grow a peach on a lime tree. You can't grow a stone fruit on a citrus fruit tree. And I actually thought, well, maybe these guys have got it right. Maybe this is actually a little bit more what the fruit of the Spirit likes. It shares the same characteristics of a place, a branch that's been grafted in together, that that grafting makes us remain in the vine and the fruit that comes from it may look different, might be different colors, but it shares the same characteristics. And so for me, the fruit of the Spirit is about this fruit that shares the same kind of characteristics, even if it looks a little different on the outside. We are fruit salad trees, but even fruit salad trees share the same characteristics. John, oh, thank you. You like that one. You like that. All right, girl. I'll, I'll send you that slide. You can use that for yourself. Okay. But then you're going to have to be very patient. So anyway, fruit salad trees. So we're this fruit salad trees that comes from being in the vine, that comes from being wrapped in Jesus, from abiding in him so that we can bear much fruit. And these characteristics of this fruit are going to come out in these words that Paul gives us, this love joy and peace, which by the way, are these internal settings of our heart. And the first outward characteristic that comes in this lineup is patience. And on this tree, we will see an outward sign of our spirit living in patience. So here's the one thing that I want you to hear today, and we're going to break this down. The primary outward sign of spirit living comes in experiencing progressive patience toward a person in process. The primary way, the primary way, now you can, you can argue with me, we're going to break this down together, but I, I think the primary way that you are living in a spirit-led life is you are experiencing progressive, meaning growing, meaning moving, dynamic patience toward a person who is in process. 
The person driving three miles too slowly in front of me is a person in process. The person gesturing from behind me who would like for me to drive faster is a person in process. The person in me who is getting increasingly frustrated in that moment is also a person in process. We are in a context of experiencing progressive growth in our spiritual life. And I think because we all know what it feels like to be impatient, we give each other a pass. And I actually think that patience is a fire alarm in our soul that God has designed to get our attention. That actually the thing that we treat as sort of commonplace is, is really a smoke alarm going off, trying to give us a red light to let us know, hey, Something is not right in you right now. Because look at the way that Paul sets this up. This is the context of what is actually happening in the letter to Galatians, where these beautiful words came from. So often, especially if you've been in faith for a long time, you can hear words and they're commonplace, and you sing them in songs, and you're used to them, and you can miss that they were given at a specific time to a specific people for a specific problem. And what was happening in Galatians is that Paul is just like fired up because the Galatian people, the people of Galatia, have been misled about something that's really important in their spiritual life. And Paul wants to provide a correction for the way that they've been misled. So the context is that he's trying to help them deal with some bad belief systems that are distracting them from living out their faith. He's setting them up to understand how you can know if you are experiencing a spiritual growth pattern. So he's saying, hey, because this thing is happening, I want to make sure I articulate to you what it looks like when you are abiding, what that fruit is going to be. And I fear that somehow we also, like the Galatians, have been bewitched about what it means to live in faith. That somehow it's very confusing and we have all of these distracting ideas that are keeping us from just the reality that Paul sets us up with not just, like he gives us a list. He's given us like a checklist to understand this is actually what it means to abide in Christ. This is what it means to experience freedom. Here is why he wanted them to know this and why I believe he wants us to know this. Galatians 5.1 says this, because Christ has truly set us free, now make sure you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery that's tied to the law. So we can be people who have experienced freedom in Christ. We can have a testimony. We can have a moment. We can know that God has been real in our life, that he's been faithful to us, but we can still get tied right back up. That doesn't mean we lose our salvation. But what Paul is saying is, but you're losing your freedom. You're losing the joy that comes from your freedom. The very thing that we're meant to experience here, not just for ourselves, but so that others might know who Christ is, we begin to lose that. And he is fired up because he doesn't want God's people to be living outside of freedom. He's like, why do you think Jesus came? If you're going to go right back into it, and I love what he calls this kind of living. He says, the people who are living that way are experiencing weak and useless spiritual principles of this world. Do you know that all around us there are people, including us, who are living with weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Now, as you all know, it was supposed to snow this week. But there are, 
Anybody here wanted it to snow? Anybody was ready for a day off of work? Anybody? I know, and there's always people who are like, no, no. But some of us were ready for a day off of school or a day off of work. We were like, come on, bring the snow. I don't know if you saw the radar, but there's just a green circle around the city of Richmond, Virginia. There, was just, there were powers and principalities keeping us from snow. So some righteous people's prayers were more powerful and effective against the snow. But I have never experienced the kind of just action that is taken among the children of Richmond when they want snow to come. Now, I don't know if you guys know this. This was new to me, but I'm raising little Richmonders, my husband and I. We didn't grow up here, but our kids are here with us. And and I've experienced this, um, this idea that there's all these snow rituals that somehow are designed to bring the snow. This is a picture of my son, Des, when he was three years old. Um, he is wearing all of his everything. And the idea here is that you're supposed to wear your PJs inside out when you go to sleep. Somehow that is going to bring the snow. And when that doesn't work, you're supposed to flush ice down the toilet. And you're also supposed to put a, a spoon under your pillow. And I look at my child and I'm thinking, I, I believe you are my flesh and blood. Um, I believe that I am leading you, my husband and I, spiritually. Where are you coming up with these things? Like, you're four years old. Who, who is telling you about these weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? It is not going to work. Now, you can, you can wear your PJs inside out all day long. But that is not going to make the snow come. And you know what? We do this all the time. We make weak and useless spiritual principles for our life all the time. We are constantly creating conditional statements for ourselves with God. Well, God, you know what? If I, if, I do, if I come to church, though, will you bring me that blessing? If I live this good life, if I see this kind of success, God, then I know that you're real. If you answer this one prayer the way I would like for you to answer it in the time that I would like for you to answer it, then I will know that you are real. Then, God, I will never mess up again. I will just be, I will be living like a saint. You know, we, we make these things up. And we experience these rituals in our life. And we're constantly being called and tempted in that way. And Paul says it is useless to live like that. We are prone to follow these kind of principles. And what's beautiful about this is there is a reason that we are doing that. There is an actual thing going on in each one of us, every single one of us, that is creating that in us. And I love that Paul gives it to us straight after he breaks this down for the people. And he says, this is what's happening, and I want you to be free. He says this, both our sin nature and our spirit nature give us desires and directives, but they are in opposition to one another. Let me say that again. I'm talking about you, and I'm talking about me. In each one of us, there is a sin nature until Jesus comes again or we see him face to face. We all live with a sin nature. And when we have said yes to Jesus, we also live with a spirit nature. Not because you did anything right, but by grace you've been saved. Because Jesus said yes to you, because you said yes to him, that spirit nature also dwells within you. But Paul says, I'm just going to give it to you straight. They have desires and directives that are in opposition to one another. Have you ever felt like there was a fight inside of you? It's real. <laughs> awesome. Now we know. Like, there's a reason you feel the way you do. There's a reason that you think the way you do. There's a reason that you go back and forth about goodness and holiness and righteousness the way you do. Because we live with sin and spirit nature that are in opposition to one another. They're fighting within. So here is the good news, because that's bad news. Here's the good news. 
The spirit in you is living and leading, and we have the choice to follow. The spirit is living and leading, and we've got to live in this tension, but we have a choice to follow. Now, Paul makes it very clear. I won't make you read this part out loud. I'll let you have a personal moment with this part. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. There is a lot of fruit on this tree. Drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Now, sometimes in a long list like these, our brains check out. We're like, whoop, making my grocery list. So come back to me for a second. And look at this list and know, you, you, you're not all of these things, but you, you probably relate to some of these things. We're not all of these things, but guess what? The sin nature in me, you have a sin nature in you. We all have a nature in us, and it has very clear fruit And what Paul is saying to the Galatians is when you're living there, when you're letting those desires live and lead you, you are no longer abiding in the vine. And you can't have the freedom of the vine when you are living over here because the fruit of the Spirit is also very clear. And that's the part we read. That's the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness. There is no law against these things. So the good news is we can all relate. The bad news is we can all relate. But God says that this outward sign of spirit living comes with patience. And particularly, the Greek word that's used here is not patience with God, which is another sermon or another series or another season altogether. But the Greek word used here is actually about people, that this outward sign is patience with people. And I think there's two very important people that we need to have patience with. And the first is with ourselves. Patience with ourselves is experienced because we know that inwardly we are waiting. There's this interesting dynamic where God says, yes, you do have a choice, but also part of that choice is that you're waiting for righteousness to come into your life. You're waiting and trusting that God is moving in your life. Does that make sense? It says in Galatians 5.5, we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait. We eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness that God has promised to us. Those of us who are living in the Spirit, we're not just passively waiting. We're eagerly waiting. We're looking in our lives to see the righteousness of God appearing in our lives. That means if you're like this much more patient in the grocery store line than you were yesterday, then you're looking at that righteousness coming to you. We're waiting while we fix our eyes on Jesus. My friend was at the grocery store this week, and he said it was, it was a horrible experience. There was only one line open. There was like 16 people in it, and then the poor woman in the front of the line wanted to pay with a check. And I think they were like, excuse me? And, and she, was, she was an older lady, and, and she was so frustrated. They were like, we will not take your check. First, they were like, we will not take your check. Then I think they said, we will not take your check without your license. And she said, I left my license in the car. And and then my friend said, I just felt so bad for her. And then, of course, this is where I was like, okay, we're not, I don't know that we're made the same way, but I appreciate you. You are, you're a saint. I said that I'm learning from you right now. Tell me about the rest of the things that you were thinking, because you obviously have achieved some righteousness that I am still working on. And he said, yeah, I just felt so bad for her. So finally, I turned to her and said, 
why don't you write me a check and I'll pay for your groceries? And I was like, you see, that's, that's the active kind of patience. That's moving into righteousness. You know, there was a patience there, but there was an active love. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient. Do you know there's a period at the end of that sentence? It's a full and complete thought. That's it. Love is patient. That's the first part of that love chapter. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. The first outward sign of that love. Love is patient. Patience with ourselves, knowing that we are people who are in process. We are people who, according to 1 Timothy, have received immense patience from Jesus Christ. We are people who are in process. Do you know that the more impatient you are with yourself, the more impatient you will be with other people? That actually recognizing your own need for patience breaks something in you that allows love to flow through you when you are impatient with others. The primary outward manifestation of this transformation of love starts with this patience. So let's talk about what patience is and is not for just a moment. Patience, first of all, patience is productive. Do you know that while you are waiting, there is working being done? Patience is productive. Letter James says, let perseverance finish its work in you so that you might be full and complete, lacking in nothing. Patience is productive. While you are waiting, there is work that is happening, work that is happening in the spirit, work that is happening inside of you. Patience is productive. Let it finish its work in you. Patience is purposeful. When there is patience needed in your life, there is a purpose for it. And if you can't know the reason why, you might say, well, what is God doing in me right now? If I can't know why I'm waiting, if I don't know why this thing is not happening, if I don't know why these prayers are not being answered, why this is so hard, what could God be doing in this? What might God be doing? Because what I know is that there is a purpose to our waiting. And there is a purpose to that person in your life who just bugs the heck out of you. Don't look at them right now. Stay eyes forward. <laughs> but I just want you to know that person, maybe you're married to them. Maybe you're like, why did you make us so different? That person, I love you, baby. But we're very different. We're very different. He was sweet. I said, please stop talking to me. I'm trying to listen to the Lord on the way here. And he said, okay. See, that's growth for both of us. So patience is purposeful. If you've got that in your life, instead of asking God, why you got this person in my life who bugs the heck out of me, start asking him, God, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in me? Because you have displayed immense patience for me. Who am I? to not want to at least grow in my patience toward others because a complete thought, love is patient. Love is patient. It, it, there's, no, there's no conditions on that statement. There is no time where that is not true. Patience is powerful. Y'all, I love this verse. I just can't even believe it's in here. It's in Proverbs 19, and it says this. A person's wisdom yields patience, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Do you know our God does not give away his glory easily? Do you know there's almost no place in Scripture where it talks about man's glory? 
All glory is about God's glory. And the one place where it talks about what's going to be to your glory is your ability to be patient. Your ability to overlook an offense, your ability to be wise and discerning in the way that you engage with others is to your glory. It's like one of the only places where God's like, powerful things happen when God's people are patient. Patience is powerful, but let's talk about what patience is not because I think we are very confused on this one. Patience is not procrastination. Being patient is not an excuse for not doing what we are supposed to do. (laughs) don't look at the person if you just are thinking about if that was for you though if that was for you amen and amen I'm saying though Hebrews 6 says this we want each of you to show the same diligence to the end so that what you may hope for will be realized we do not want you to become lazy but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. One of my jobs is I I meet with people individually. I provide them coaching, counsel. One of the main things people say to me is, I don't know what to do with my life. I said, well, while you don't know what you're doing with your life, why don't you go to the Word and see what God says you can be doing with your life and be doing those things? Because patience, waiting on God, is not an excuse for procrastination. It doesn't mean that we stop caring. It doesn't mean that we stop stop doing. He's given us plenty of directions. We have plenty of directions of what we can do with our life. Patience is not permissiveness. Patience is not tolerating your own bad choices or the choices of those around you that are leading you into sin and not into spirit living. After all of those things that Paul says, when he says, hey, let me make sure you know I'm saying everything I'm about to say because it's for freedom. Paul says to the Galatians, everything about what I'm about to say is for freedom. And then he says, let me make it really clear, you've got warring forces inside of you. This is the fruit of being led by the sin nature. This is the fruit of being led by the Spirit. And he says in Galatians 6, now let me be clear, God cannot be mocked. You will reap what you sow. It's just a universal statement. It's not a judgment. It's just a universal statement of truth. In fact, if you have an experience and injustice in your life, you can claim this as a promise. If you have experienced oppression or injustice or something that is not fair, if you have suffering in your life that was not your fault, I want you to know that God says, hey, guess what? I cannot be mocked. We will reap what we sow. But if you are allowing permissiveness in your life, that you're calling it patience, but you're actually just being permissive with your life because of your own bad choices or the choices around you, believe me, God will not be mocked. You will reap what you sow. Those that reap in the sin nature will sow. If you sow in the spin, excuse me, if you sow in the sin nature, you will reap destruction. If you sow in the spirit nature, you will reap freedom. Finally, patience is not passivity. It is not tolerating. Sometimes we're waiting on God to move for our next season, and he's waiting for us to address the thing that he's been telling us to address. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody waiting for God to move you to the next thing? And he's like, hey, baby girl, I told you about a thing. I told you six months ago. I told you 12 months ago. I told you 18 months ago. I'm just letting you circle it. We're going to just keep circling it because patience is not passivity. And when God's calling us to a thing, he will give you the strength to do the thing. But he'll also be patient with you until you do the thing. So we don't do it because we're trying to get to God's blessing. But don't try to get to God's blessing by not listening. 
and being obedient to the thing that he's put in front of you. Sometimes it's the small thing that needs to change in order for that big thing to change. Patience does not mean that we are not actively moving, seeking, working. Patience is this inner setting that we know that our God knows his timing, that our God knows what he's doing, and that he has not forgotten us. That's what patience yields in our life. We act often like patience is negotiable in our spiritual life, but actually I do believe that impatience is a fire alarm in your soul. The next time that you feel impatient with a person or yourself, could you just imagine the lights and sprinklers going off? What happens when the lights and sprinklers go off? You exit the building. Like, if you're in that situation, I just want to encourage you to take your soul to the throne room of God and say, what is going on right now? Because something is happening in me. I have left the place of the complete thought that love is patient. And sure, you know what? I might just be driving down the road. I might be dealing with a four-year-old who is just taking me to new spiritual growth heights. I mean, who knows what is going on? But when that happens, we have to ask ourselves in that moment, and this is really the root of it. If you hear nothing else, and I do really love you guys, and it makes me want to talk a lot, but I'm wrapping up. Here's one more thing I want you to hear. There is a belief at play that if you do not believe this thing, the rest of it isn't going to work. I was in L.A. one time. I was out there speaking, and we had a few days off, and so we went on a Warner Brothers studio tour. We had a behind-the-scenes studio tour. It was actually, like, one of the coolest things I've ever done because we got to see the movie sets and how they put everything together and all that goes into it. And we were in this, like, street, and there was this, this tree that I'm going to show you guys. There was a tree there on this street. There was houses and stuff around it, and that's the tree right there. But we're in L.A. It's sunny all the time. You see, that's a four-season tree. I don't know what that's called, but it's one of those. It's a tree where the leaves are supposed to fall off. And so I look closer at it, and I'm going to show you this closer picture. You might not be able to see it from where you're seated, but there is a zip tie right there on that branch. And I said to our tour guide, I was like, what's with the zip tie? She said, all those leaves are zip tied on that tree. I said, what? (laughs) She said, we have to make it be four seasons here in L.A., and the only way to do that is the leaves, the trees don't have any leaves. And when we're doing a shot or a movie or whatever where there's supposed to be the summer, then we zip tie all. I said, you zip tie all the leaves. Yep, we zip tie all the leaves. That's why your movie costs $12 when you try to go see it. (laughs) But here's the deal. If we don't believe this next one thing, I want you to tell, I just want to tell you, everything you're doing, you're just zip-tying it on to a tree. You're not living. It's not abiding. It's not coming from within you. I mean, because you can, you can practice. You can grit it out. You can, you can practice being kind. You can do behavior modification on yourself. You can practice being patient. But if you want to be a patient person, if you want kindness to come out from who you are, if you want loving to be the setting of your soul, you have to believe this that honoring God with your life is better than honoring yourself with your life. I mean, you have to know that. You have to believe that. Because when those moments come that try your patience, as you know they will probably today, at that point, you are going to justify yourself. You're going to blame somebody else. You are going to live into the self-life if you do not have this fundamental belief that you might just need to confess and return to tonight that I believe that a God-honoring life is actually better than a self-honoring life. And when you believe that, 
you are not far from the kingdom of God. When you begin to believe, actually, it's actually better with God. Like, even though this is hard, and even though I messed up, and even though I'm tempted by this stuff, and I've got these warring desires in me, I I want to live this God-honoring life. We just sang, Lord, I want you, and I need you. Like, I got to actually believe that I want that life. When you be, and if you don't believe that, in the words of Beth Moore, if you don't believe that, then just start praying that you would want that. If you don't want it, just pray that you would want it. That's a start. Because at the heart of it, you've got to believe that's what you want. I want that life. It actually is better. And I'm telling you, as a recovering, impatient person, it actually is better. It's a better life. So if I believe the best full free life is a God-honoring life, then I can live in this moment when I have impatience. I can decide this is a fire alarm in my soul, and I've got to ask myself some questions. So if you're a note taker, this is your moment. I've got a couple of questions for you. This comes from my own life. How do I deal with life when I'm impatient? First thing I ask myself, am I following my sin nature into selfishness? Is this about me? Is this just about me at the end of the day? I'm like, I'm tired and I don't want to deal with you anymore. That's about me, right? That's that moment. And here's the truth. James 5.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You can just quiet yourself in that moment, turn inward and say, Lord, I'm getting in my own way. Would you give me the strength I need for this moment? Here's a big one when I'm impatient. Am I actually anxious? Am I anxious about something? I'm revved up on the inside. And that revved up, it's got, it needs an outlet, and it's coming out on myself and other people. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. Just stay near to God. Drop into your inward self and say, Lord, I'm actually scared. I'm not impatient. I'm scared. And I need you to come meet me in my anxiety. Third one, am I hurt? Have I been hurt by this person or someone like this person? And God is calling me to healing. And in this moment of frustration with this person or with myself, what I really need is healing. Because I have a hurt that I'm trying to protect. And nothing is spikier and creates more friction than when you're trying to protect yourself. Psalm 147.3 says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. That's our God. He has a promise for every condition. Finally, and this is a big one, am I just weary? Am I tired? I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of the situation. I'm I'm just, I'm tired at the end of this day. You can draw strength. Do you know that there are more promises for us when we are tired than any of these other conditions? Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Jeremiah 31, I refresh the weary. Isaiah 40, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. When we're tired, There is rest for our souls. When we are tired, there is refreshment in the spirit. When we're tired, there's renewal of our strength. And we get to repeat all of that again and again. So this week, when you're impatient, as we all will be, with yourself or with other people, take it as a moment to allow God to enter in, to meet your needs where you are, to make that choice to say, God, I want to live a God-honoring life. And you say that this is the fruit of that life. I'm going to pray this over us, Philippians 3. If you want to just bow your heads for a minute. 
And I'm just going to give you a visual picture for your prayer life. I think we're charismatic enough in the room for that. I think we can do that, all right? Okay, so let me just give you this picture from Philippians 3. Because you know what? Our Lord understands, and he provides us encouragement. And this verse that Paul writes too, the same one who wrote all this other stuff, says, not that I have obtained all of this, not that I have made it there yet, but I press on to take hold of that which has taken hold of me. I want you to picture what it feels like if you've ever held a baby. If you've held a baby and they, and they hold on to your finger or if it's a little bit of an older child and they, and they put their little hand on your shoulder and you can feel in, their, in the way that they're holding, they feel like they're holding on. But what do we know? We know that we're actually holding on to them. And this is the picture that Jesus gives us to enter in, that we're like that little child and we think that we're the one holding on, but Jesus is like, no, I'm the one holding on to you. When you press on to take hold of that which has taken hold of you, and we don't win this battle every day, but tomorrow can be a day where we live more into the spirit nature, where we lead or led more into the spirit nature than by the sin nature like yesterday. And that in itself is worthy of our praise. So, Father in heaven, we thank you for the goodness of your word. You th we thank you, God, that you understand our condition, but you don't leave us in that condition. We thank you, God, that you give us the truth of your word, that you don't hold back, that you tell us what it's going to take to live a full and free and God-honoring life, but, Lord, you give us what we need to do it, and you meet us with grace again and again. Father, we thank you that it doesn't matter how long we've been in the kingdom, doesn't matter where we are in our faith, how long we've been on this journey. You invite us back for renewal and refreshment and repentance again and again. And there is no shame in that. There is just the glorious invitation of grace. Thank you, God, that you are making us new, that you invite us into a process with this sense of spirit living that not only changes us, but changes the people around us. Father, would you give us the courage to believe that you actually think that much of us, that you consider us worthy of your presence and worthy of your mercy and worthy of your healing and worthy of your growth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. I know that um, my own heart is burning inside.